Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Calvary Baptist Church. If you are a first-time visitor here today, we welcome you as well. And uh, we'd like to know a little bit of information about you. So on the back of the pew in front of you, we have these uh, visitor's cards where you can fill out some information and uh, tell us about yourself. And you can also put down a prayer request that you may have. And uh, we will be sure to pray with you and for you. This Sunday, uh, we are continuing our summer series uh, going through 1 Corinthians. Today's emphasis will be on 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The Corinthian church was a pretty, uh, a church that had quite a bit of challenges in there. And uh, it's just uh, a lot of rich things that we can learn from it. Paul takes a side route to talk about love. And he does so, uh, and it challenges us even this morning to look at the habits and the things that we do uh, regularly over and over again, and sometimes we can do those uh, in a mundane fashion. But this morning, we want to challenge ourselves to go deeper into why we do the things that we do. That we remember that God is the source and his love is the source of all the things that we do. So as we re-envision these things today, uh, let us be challenged to love deeper. Let us worship together.
Let's pray. Till in heaven we take our place, till we cast our crowns before thee, lost in wonder, love, and praise. Lost in wonder of your love for us, a love that chose us first, even with all of our faults, shortcomings, and disobedience. Lost in a love that knows no end. Lost in praise of your holy name. It's above every other name, yet we've turned from you and loved ourselves more. Lord, let our hearts desire you and you alone. Take away any thought that is other than you. Each day sees forces that pull our attention away from you. Some of these forces are new, but others make regular appearances. Like a leaf that is tossed around during a violent storm, so are we when, we when lost in temptation by external worldly forces. Ground us and let us remain in you so that you can save us from ourselves. You've shown us the way. Now let's grab your hand as you guide us, knowing that it's love that binds us and love that sets us free. From the book of Psalms. In you, O Lord, I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from my birth. It was you who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. A reading from the first epistle to the Corinthians. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, 
Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends, but as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part. Then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, and the greatest of these is love. This is the word of God for the people of God.
I got on a flight out of DFW headed for Suzhou, China. Um, I don't really know what I expected, but I didn't expect to find myself a few months later walking down an old street with a 68-year-old Chinese man named Carl as he told me about growing up during the Cultural Revolution. Everyone was very poor. Many people died, he told me, and I was immediately aware of the differences that divide our lives. The life I live has so far been one of unmerited privilege. I don't know what it feels like to be poor or hungry, to have to drop out of school at age 16 and move to the countryside. Everything I knew about the Cultural Revolution up until then was from a textbook, but Carl lived it, and I don't know what that feels like. Carl is one of those people who only has one volume, loud. <laughs> In fact, I usually knew that Carl had arrived to Saturday night Bible study before I could see that Carl had arrived. Uh, Carl became my Tai Chi teacher on Monday afternoons in the courtyard of the oldest church in Suzhou, where usually I would stand behind him and he would do some really cool Tai Chi moves and I would try to do the same thing. Um, I didn't learn a lot of Tai Chi from Carl. <laughs> but what I did learn from him was this, that God uses people regardless of race, gender, age, or whatever else we use to divide ourselves as humans. The Bible study where I met Carl took place in a small, unair-conditioned Sunday school room with people from all different walks of life, in all different stages of life. And it was here, squeezed in a circle of desks far too small for full-grown adults, even Chinese ones, that I caught my first glimpses of community in a faraway place. At first, I found the study to be really intimidating. Um, I was 18, leading people who were 25 and up in discussions of faith and theology that I was hardly qualified to lead. They asked questions that I found myself also asking, and questions that I, as someone who has grown up in Sunday school rooms, never even thought to ask. Um, despite my own lack of qualifications, I had to trust that God was properly qualified to walk with these people and that he would use me to walk with them as well. And every week, when I was greeted with a high five and Carl's ridiculously loud laughter, I learned and relearned that we're all connected by shared human experiences of joy, pain, and profound hope, and that somehow a 68-year-old man from China and a 19-year-old girl from the U.S. and all the parts of us that make us different can somehow come together and find communion, friendship even. I'm learning now more than ever that this is truly a beautiful thing. In the last year, I've been met with many challenging times found in my attempts to learn a new language uh, in a crowded migrant school classroom, in humid Sunday school rooms, in my seeking to find who I am apart from everything I've ever known. Um, but in the very same places, I found really immense and very real joy. And I know that I could not have experienced any of this without your prayer and support, and I'm so very grateful.
in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne, and claim what love through Christ my own. Amazing. Let's have a moment to go to God together in prayer. Lord God, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for bringing us together that we might submit and worship you. We might humble ourselves and hear your voice. That you might restore us and send us forth full of joy and celebration to a world in dire need of both. God, there are many concerns upon our hearts this morning. We want to lift up, Lord, in particular, Bonnie Guthrie, and give you thanks that she's getting the care she needs at Lakeside Villages. We want to ask your blessing on Erin Tang and her wrist, that it would continue to heal and recover as we thank her for her gift of music. We want to lift up Pat and Doug Weaver as Pat has eye surgery on Thursday this week. We give you thanks that Amanda Stefchik is here and that she is recuperating and recovering. We ask, Lord, you continue to be with the Limleys as their new addition could come at any moment. Lord God, as we turn our attention further beyond these walls, we ask your blessing on those in Louisiana who are suffering with flooding and loss. Lord God, even yesterday as we were having a discussion on race in our own fellowship hall, just below where we sit, Milwaukee was erupting in violence. We need you, God, to build these bridges. 
We need you to mend our hearts. You are a God who can do this. We call upon you. Bless us, Lord, as your congregation. Fill us with your love and assurance now and in days to come. And remind us that you promised life everlasting. It is in your holy name, Lord God, that we pray. Amen. So what's new with you? Uh, as was in this past Thursday's Tower, next Sunday is my last Sunday as senior pastor at Calvary Baptist Church, having accepted a call to become lead pastor at First Baptist Church of Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, the U-Haul in the office parking lot has nothing to do with me. That's a really good joke if someone pulled it, uh, Guillermo. I don't know if you planned that. Uh, it's, a bit, it's a bit too much for coincidence. Perhaps you're trying to be helpful. Uh, that visual and uh, the timing is uh, nothing less than comic, let's say. Uh, today's message, I've got two sermons left to preach. Today's message uh, will come a bit more from my perspective and, and be a bit more personal than I typically preach. Uh, and next Sunday, I want to focus on Calvary going forward. Um, without going into specifics, I've known this day was coming longer than you have. And I can't say back in May when we kind of planned out the summer worship that I thought these would line up well. But I'll trust that God perhaps knew that uh, or has allowed that to happen. I do want to take a short break from my role as preacher at this moment uh, to be pastor for just a few minutes. This congregation has had a recent history of taking moderately stressful events, and a senior pastor leaving is a stressful event, but have taken those moderately stressful events and exacerbating them so that the interior pressure becomes unhealthy. And when blood pressure spikes, Bad things happen. Uh, I wrote this in my letter on Thursday. I've said it to a number of you in person. I'm going to say it now. You'll hear it again next week. I am not leaving mad or in despair or angry about anything. I'm not leaving because anyone said you need to or anybody told me to. Uh, I'm not leaving because I'm unhappy. God very definitively called me to Calvary in 2009. That was played out months before I got here and over and over again after I got here. I've never had a doubt about that. And I also know that God has been calling me from Calvary for a bit of time. That and that alone is why I leave. It may be too late a departure for some. Jeremy brought the U-Haul van today. It may be too soon a departure for others. But I very much think it is part of God's plan. And with that departure, know that there are processes in place. And Calvary has done this. I'm pastor number 11. There are processes in place to bring pastor number 12 here. Uh, Calvary's not going to descend into anarchy any more than we Baptists descend into that on a week-to-week -week basis. Person Al and I met on Wednesday. We reviewed next steps. Uh, the church has a process and plan and excellent lay leadership to lay that out to you. They will follow that. By every measurement, Calvary is healthy. Membership, ministries, budget. Calvary is healthy. Don't freak out. God is in this. In some ways, this is very much a test of faith. Do you believe that God has been blessing this church and will continue to do so? Or do you believe that God has forsaken this place? In which case, it doesn't matter who stands up here week to week. You are a faithful lot. God has blessed this church. That's not going to change. Trust. Believe. Rely upon Him. I had a call from a friend in ministry this week who heard that I was leaving, wanting to know the backstory. He was disappointed. There's not a backstory. There's no reason. Uh, we are leaving a bit hastily. Not enough for a U-Haul van today, I'll say. Am I going back to that too much? Is that... When I drove up, is that, did, can you tell that kind of affected me a little bit? Um, that's not in these notes. That's, that's just extemporaneous. Uh, school in Scottsdale started last Monday. Uh, so we do feel a need to get there sooner rather than later. The children have said, take your time. 
we're cool with being having unexcused absences that we can't be held accountable for. Calvary is in great shape. And I thank I am thankful for you. I am thankful for my time here, our ministry together. God is in this. And that leads me back into the role of a preacher. I love you all. I haven't said that to you, I think, from here ever. And I'm sorry about that. Uh, this summer, we were visiting family down the East Coast and started in Philadelphia and worked our way to Washington and then to Wilmington, North Carolina. And I was speaking to some churches at that time and kind of began to think about, as you begin to look ahead, you begin to think about backwards and thinking about Trenton and thinking about Calvary. And, uh, it occurred to me that I'd never said those words to you from the pulpit. And I, I do love you. I have loved you. And I asked myself, you know, why had I not said that? Why had, why had I never felt the urge or the need to, to, to say that from this special place? And I realized that I had never been in the habit of that. Uh, First Trenton knew that I loved them. And I knew that they knew that I loved them. And they knew that I knew that they knew that I loved them. Like They had helped raise Julie and I as first-year seminarians just looking for a place to worship and then as interns, and then as co-pastors, and so forth. Um, we haven't had quite that building up relationship. And that's not an excuse. It is an egregious error that I've never told you all how much I love you from the pulpit. And some of you know that through interactions with me. I, I hope that that's been shown through my actions. But I have needed to say that and to have said it often, and I didn't. I haven't always, I haven't loved all of you well, but I have loved you. And that love convicts me for not having said it plainly before. And that won't happen moving forward. And so we come to 1 Corinthians 13. You don't have to raise your hands, uh, but we do invite confession. Uh, if you have, have you heard or read this, uh, heard this read at a wedding? Uh, perhaps, perhaps your own. Uh, it's not a wedding text, though it gets used that way. It's not about the feelings of love. Uh, you've probably heard sermons, I might have preached one, on uh, the difference in the Greek nouns of eros and philos and agape. There's different forms of love that the Greeks differentiate. I'm not going to go there today. Rather, I want to look at the way Paul uses this insertion into his arguments about spiritual gifts of chapter 12 and chapter 14. This insertion in chapter 13. Uh, some commentators think that, that Paul is including an early church hymn to remind the Corinthians of some basic truth. Uh, in the, it doesn't fit within the context of Paul's argument about spiritual gifts. It's a digression. He goes off on a tangent. It doesn't seem to fit the pattern. He's been arguing in chapter 12 and we'll go back to it in chapter 14 about the unity of spiritual gifts that Everybody has different gifts, and God has given those, and they are for God's purposes. Uh, but there's a unity between them. And it's not that your gifts that, that may be uh, needed in some places as opposed to other gifts that are needed in other places are more important. It's not as though there's a segregation of gifts. The Corinthians had gotten into a fuss about who had the greater spiritual gifts. And that those greater spiritual gifts were an indicator of a greater spiritual love received from God because they were greater spiritual people. And if you ever have a worry about how difficult a church can be, read 1 Corinthians. We have witnessed infighting about whether Paul or Apollos had baptized some. We've seen segregation of the Lord's Supper, uh, uh, an eagerness to invite sin into the congregation. And now they're wielding spiritual gifts like instruments of violence rather than as tools to bring God glory. Paul says to them at the end of chapter 12, now eagerly desire the greater gift. Don't lose sight of the fact that Paul interrupts his argument to insert these verses. It doesn't seem to fit an accomplished litigator like Paul. Paul's a lawyer's lawyer. I mean, he wants to take us from one place to another. And he's going to get there step by step by step, deductive reasoning, Aristotelian logic, so that we all end up at that conclusion together. This doesn't fit with him. But he uses it as an assertion to speak about the unity of the gifts. We've all got different gifts. 
But the practice of love is what brings those together. Again, he told this to a broken, beat-up church. That they might first realize that God is patient with them, that God is kind with them, that God does not envy with them. He tells that to them first as recipients of this love. That they might therefore go founded in that love and use their gifts to love one another well. Look at verse 13 with me, if you would, of chapter 13. And now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. I don't know if you've ever had your favorites of the Christian virtues of faith, hope, and love. Uh, and I don't know if you ever thought of them almost as a, as a triad. Paul is saying that love is supreme here. Now, it always perplexed me why he said love was the greatest. Scripture talks of faith over and over again, that we are to believe in Christ. We are to have faith. Blessed are you who have not seen, yet have come to believe. Hope is a belief that what is not can be and what is doesn't have to remain. And we are people of hope. So why are faith and hope eclipsed by love? Well, faith and hope are earthly. They have no place in heaven. When we get to heaven, you're not going to have to believe anything. What, what is, is. There won't be any need to believe or to have faith or to take leaps because it will just be, right? There'll be no reason to have hope in heaven because everything will be actualized. Those things that we hope for, there'll be no referent for it. So there's no reference for hope in heaven. We hope in something. We hope in an object. Well, there'll be no need for that. Heaven is fulfillment, completeness. If you've read Dante's Divine Comedy, uh, as Virgil begins to take Dante on his journey through hell in the first volume, Inferno, uh, etched in the gates above the entrance to hell are the words, Abandon hope, all ye who enter. Because hell has no place for hope. There's no, it's going to get better. There's no, let's hope for something else. There is what is. The entrance to heaven, it could very easily read, your hope is no longer needed. All that God promised is. But love is both earthly and heavenly. Scripture speaks to us that in heaven we will be in the kingdom together adoring our God. We will be loved and receive that love. But we will also love God as we worship God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So love is the greatest because it has a place both in the now and the to come. Faith and hope are just aspects of now. Paul says in verse 12, For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. Because love is eternal. What is best for Calvary? When I got here, I made the decision that that was going to be the question I asked myself every day. That was going to be the question that I would hope would define my ministry. What is best for this church? I've never asked staff to be loyal to me personally. It goes against my understanding of leadership in the church. Uh, I've asked them repeatedly to be loyal to this congregation, and they've done that. What is God's will for Calvary? What does God want with you and your gifts in this place? And I believe that if that's where we started from, if that was our approach from the beginning, then everything else would fall into place. If we pursued that, we wouldn't have to sweat the other stuff. What does God want for Calvary? At times, the answer to that question has had some personal cost. Uh, what has served the church at times wasn't necessarily my wheelhouse. It wasn't necessarily what I was good at or what fed me. But Paul here is talking about the practice of love, and at times the practice of love is costly. Um, let me also dive into some confession. That good intention and prayerful beginning, that kind of foundational question, what is good for Calvary, doesn't whitewash bad decisions. And I've, I've made many. 
asking that question was foundational, but asking it didn't ensure that I came up with the right answer. I remember the looks on your faces uh, the first time I robed for Advent in 2009. Do I need to say anything beyond the word chimes? Those are superficial, funny things. Uh, there have been some deeper decisions that I've made that have had cost to you and cost to this church. I didn't pastor all of you well all of the time, despite a desire to do so. I confess that, and I humbly ask your forgiveness. You all have always been gracious. That also tells me that the practice of love is not yet perfect. The practice of love led me to ask this spring, what is best for Calvary now as it relates to my leadership? The answer that God returned was someone other than me. My gifts fit Calvary really well, I think, seven years ago. God used us, not me, God used us to get the church out of a difficult spot, to focus again on its mission, to put a painful past behind, and Calvary has excelled since that time. My gifts, what I like doing, what I think I'm good at, aren't needed. They're not critical here anymore. I could stick around and I think the church would be fine. I think Calvary would be fine. But I've never asked what will make Calvary fine? What will just do? What is good enough? I've always asked what does God want most for Calvary? So I also learned that the practice of love is being open to God's direction. And I think that is what Paul is talking about in chapter 13. He doesn't write us a beautiful chapter about the feelings of love. We may use it at wedding texts all the time because it sounds good. But he's writing about the practice of love. And that it is costly at times. It is imperfect at times. And there are times where it sends you in places that you might not want to be. But that is the practice of love. The practice of love means that our love is applied, that it moves outward, that God uses our gifts to fit the needs of his kingdom. That practice of love goes where God sends it. The practice of love serves God and the other, and it comes back to us as well. Paul got as his model for love Christ. Christ showed us a love that proved costly. Christ showed us love that wasn't always received well or perfectly. Christ showed us love, even as he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, Lord, take this cup from my hand if it is your will. Christ showed us love that takes us places that we don't always want to go. A love that is costly. A love that demands. A love that gives, even when it hurts. I leave this church that is highly functioning, and moving toward the kingdom to dive deep into the work of moving a congregation from a place of difficulty to a place of health to get them to where you are. And I leave this church, you all, a place and a people that I love, and I leave you because I love you. A last act of love to you as your pastor. This is the practice of love Paul spells out in 1 Corinthians 13. This is the practice of love offered by Christ. This is the practice of love that will lead us all, once again, into the kingdom of God. Bow with me. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks that you have shown us love, that you've modeled it for us. And though we are imperfect recipients and actors of that love, thank you, God, that you have called us to seek after you and to engage, no matter what our gifts may be, in the practice of love. I thank you, Lord, for this place that has loved me and has allowed me to love it. And we thank you, Lord, because that love has first come from you to each of us. We bow once again, Lord, before your magnificence. In your name we pray. Amen.
This is a time of response. If you wish to publicly proclaim your love for Christ, that you know Christ's love in your heart through baptism, simply go to the back of the sanctuary. Deacons and staff will be there with you. Uh, when you join a church, you do not join because of the pastor. I'm at home. I reminded that uh, we had some conversation this week. A friend of his was getting ready to resign at the end of a service and had a number of people join at the invitation right before that time. And as he was meeting with them, he was saying specifically, look, I'm announcing my resignation after this. You, you may want to wait a week. And they looked at him and said, we're not joining because of you. And that is true. There's one personality in this church, and that is the personality of Jesus Christ. If you feel called to join with this congregation through membership, simply go to the back of the sanctuary. Deacons and staff and I will be back there to pray with you to celebrate that and to share that news with the congregation. Let us join our voices together and sing. The themes that man hath known, one supremely stands alone. Through the ages it has shown, tis a wonderful, wonderful love. Join me in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, as we come to the part of the service where we can return to you a small portion of that which you have so freely and generously given to us, we pray that our hearts will be focused on giving out of our love for you and the great work you have done and are doing in our lives. You have shown us through the birth, ministry, death, and resurrection of your only Son, Jesus Christ, what the true essence of love is. And now we pray that you will fill our hearts, our minds, our words, and our actions with that same love. Use these gifts in whatever ways you wish to continue the work of your people here on earth, saving souls and witnessing to all ends of the earth until Jesus returns to take us home. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. 